turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. A straightforward approach to managing your money. The Rob Black Show. Show dedicated to getting you to retirement. One of the best ways to do that is to study just a little bit of history. Not a lot. One way to do that is to figure out some simple and stupid ways to getting this done. Not the complex algorithm way to do it. Although, there's something to be said for mathematics. I like looking at stories of early retirees, what they did right, what they did wrong. I realize that this is not my daddy's market. So what might have worked for him might not work for me. I'm very conscious that sometimes you have to give back in order to go forward. So I was studying up on some millionaires and it's really kind of funny when you do these days because a millionaire isn't what it used to be. You see studies about how top cities are seeing people leave again. During the pandemic, we saw renters and young people move back home. Now, a few years later, we're starting to see families say, you know what, with the higher mortgage rates, this is just too expensive to be here. Sadly, I have two very good work associate friends who are with me, uh, near my age, near my demographic, if you will, that never got a home. And they didn't do it in their 20s. They didn't do it in their 30s. It was too expensive. It was too expensive in their 40s. So I'm seeing some people with that, should I stay or should I leave mentality. Being 50 plus years old and having two kids who are getting ready to go to college, it's stressful not to own your home, own home, because in your head, that was the American dream. None of us were born rich or very few of us were born rich. I started my own business because I didn't really like the idea of working for AT&T, which was like the corporate equivalent of hell when I was in high school. AT&T was a big corporation. And AT&T had a lot of jobs that didn't have a lot of personality. I don't know. Is there a company like that in your head? Probably Intel or maybe IBM. If you're a tech person. So I kind of created a side hustle in my head. I'll do what I have to do to pay the bills, but I'm also going to set up a business. That was very important for me. So if I had to, I would have delivered pizzas or given blood or what have you to pay the bills to give my business enough time to work. But you had to have the right business idea. And very early on, I came across a a stockbroker who I was like, wow, he's not very smart. He's really good looking. He's got a fake tan. He's got a muscle car. He's not very good. He's not very smart. 
was like, this is an industry ripe for people like me. <laughs> I know you're saying that's a little, that, that's all it took. Pretty much so. And then my first boss in the industry was uh, a little on the cuckoo side. His marriage was in trouble and he had to go back to Japan to save his marriage because that's where his wife's family was from. And he was a little bit of a local personality. He was great at networking. He said, I need you. I need you to like, uh, take over my radio show for me. I was like, okay, not a problem. And I was so good at it that his clients and other people asked me to become a money manager, a portfolio manager. But I digress. I figured out my business. And I started nurturing it with a, a side hustle. The old follow your passion, I wish I could have done that completely. But I had to do both. I had to set up a side passion, but also had to figure out how to get as much pay into a marketable career as I could. Um, I built a career around what I was good at, but I also had to do a lot of sacrifices and, and basically work 20-hour days so that I could go out on dates. So how do you become successful? How do you become a millionaire? Is I do like the idea of following your passion. Provided you could also do the grind to get ahead. I learned from millionaires. I learned from billionaires. I've never stopped learning in this industry, and I hope that'll never happen. I worked with wealthy people. Instead of being jealous, I would take notes. I would talk to them. Um, anyone who had a car that was super flashy, I tended to assume they weren't that rich because they sunk all their money into a car. And when you talk to them, it was like, yeah, they're leasing it. <laughs> it's like, okay. Now, the person who had the six-year-old Honda Accord driving to client meetings, I was like, that's the way to do it. A couple things I did to get ahead was I never got wrapped up in office politics. Um, I volunteered for every single project I could do in financial, radio, and television. So I didn't come for money, so I had to watch other people who created money and see what they did right. One thing that you have to do to be successful and get ahead in your career is cut losers from your life. This is a tough one. Um, and it was a, a great piece of parenting advice that I learned. Someone that I really admired as kids when I first had kids, I said, uh, you did great. What, what advice can you give me? He goes, um, get to know their friends. And if you don't like their friends, steer them towards the ones you do. And he goes, don't manipulate, but steer. I'm like, okay, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Um, I had to cut people out of my life that, I, that, that stopped me from focusing. I had to cut people out who probably to this day never got ahead. And that's okay. My mission wasn't to build a relationship with them. My mission was to you know, have them in my life for a small period of time and then move on. One thing that I did right was when I first got into this career is when I worked for others, I worked for not from nine to five. I talked to the HR people. I talked to everyone I could. I figured out how to max out a health savings account, how to max out a 401k. I talked to people who had gray hair that would give me insights into what they did right and what they did wrong on the corporate ladder, what they did right, what they did wrong with their 401k. Maybe a bit of a kiss butt, but I'm okay with that.
the best thing I probably ever did to get ahead in my career and get ahead in my finances was I automated everything. So this is about my finances. The moment I could set up a, every two weeks, take money out of my paycheck and put in a 401k or into an IRA or a Roth IRA, whatever product, whatever retirement plan there is, is great. As I got older, not only was I funding my retirement accounts, but I'd set up other accounts like an emergency fund. I would fund that on a regular basis. I'd set up another account on, this is a stupid one, but just to show you how my mind is always accumulating. Um, I've got a city double cash card. And it gives me 1% when I buy, 1% when I sell. I have saved all those credit card points and I've converted them into cash and I've invested them through the last probably seven or eight years. Wow, it could be actually nine or 10 to think about it. Uh, and that counts well over 100,000 now, just from the credit card rewards and in some investments over time. Not from my income, not from a cash windfall, not from scratchers. Just from automating the idea of credit card points automatically converted to cash, cash automatically converted into investments. Piece of advice that got me ahead in financials a lot and in my career was I ignored the haters and I ignored the Joneses. Two groups of people that you just don't have time for. People who criticize you for spending money differently. Um, I had a crappy car. I still have a $40,000 truck. People are like, oh, I, I thought you would be driving a Maserati. I'm nope. My neighbor, when he got a Lamborghini or a McClellan, I'm like, I had no interest. He's like, do you want me to take you out on it? I'm like, nah, take my kid out for a ride. I'm not materialistic. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Another thing I did really, really well was I avoided a lot of debt, like credit card debt. I'm Rob Black. Brought to you by EP Wealth. This is the Rob Black Show. I don't pretend to know everything, and I try not to come across as conceited or arrogant. I know that there is a pompous feel at times. <clears throat> I just try to tell you what worked for me. <clears throat> as an investment advisor, as a tech investor, I was Generation X. We weren't really supposed to succeed. We were supposed to be slackers. Now we're into Generation Z. And they're going through their first bear market. I've been through bear markets. And I'll be honest with you, the first one or two scared the bejesus out of me. It did. I peed my pants. I was problematic. I wasn't ready. I was like, oh my gosh, my whole business, I'm going to lose it all. Because it wasn't a 5% correction. It wasn't a 10% correction. It was a 40% correction. And if people paying me money to be their portfolio manager, and I, I was hemorrhaging. Got it under control, stabilized, moved forward, lived through a stupid bear market, got a t-shirt for it, moved on to next recovery, moved on to next bear market, moved on to next recovery, moved on to next bear market, and here I am today. They're going to happen. And for the Generation Z, millennials have already had one. Millennials have had a brutal uh, job market to come into following college. Uh, Generation Z's got a great job market. A little bit different, right? We're all a little skosh off. One of the things that you'll hear me and people like um, Adam Phillips, he's EP's portfolio, director of portfolio strategy. Um, 
You can find some of his videos online at YouTube, Rob Black Show. Go to YouTube and type in Rob Black Show. Subscribe to the button. And then every week, three times, four times a week, I update my uh, TV. I update my podcasts there. And I also update strategy interviews that I do. In the coming future, I'm going to try to put more stuff like women investing, investing after 50, investing for income seminars there. I have to go through compliance and legal before I can do that. And it's a bit of a process. But one of the things you'll hear me and Adam Phillips or briefing.com talk about on this show on a regular basis is where are we in the cycle? In the last couple of weeks, I've really shown you exactly where we are in the cycle. We're in the part of the cycle where we need job layoffs to kill inflation. The Fed, when they raise interest rates, it does it very, very slowly. Right now, we need job layoffs to kill inflation. Home prices are so high in San Francisco right now. It's the number one city for exodus of wealthy people. I'm not talking about the pandemic where it was kids going back to live with mommy and daddy. I'm talking about wealthy families who are saying, here's my golden ticket. Willy Wonka, time to cash it in. What we need now, and that should help kill some real estate inflation. Take out the wealthy families with the expensive homes have been trading up. At some point in time, I'm not going to trade up. I'm going to trade down. Smaller home, maybe beach. But global warming or no global warming, whatever you want to say or not say. I'm not sure I want to be on a beach. (laughs) Okay, so what do we need right now? And there's something that I'm working on as a segment, and it's not ready for prime time, but here is my notes. Hiring slowdowns with the new layoffs. Now, I would like to see the layoffs to help kill inflation because this market really needs confidence inflation's behind it before it moves forward. Now, it'll move before that, but it needs the confidence that's where we're going. Big companies are overstaffed by about two times. That's the good ones. Bad big companies are overstaffed by four times. This is a quote by Mark Andreessen. He's a venture capitalist. He's the founder of Netscape. And one thing you're hearing from Microsoft and Apple, Google, and other big tech companies is we're going to do a hiring freeze right now. And the truth is, I agree with Mark Andreessen. The good big companies are overstaffed by two times. The bad big companies are overstaffed by four times. So you need to see Coinbase lose 25% of its workforce. You need to see Apple say, we're not going to be doing a lot of hiring next year. You'll figure out which one's the good, which one's the bad. To give you an idea, since Anderson, uh, since Andreessen, not Anderson, since his tweet in April, some 200 U.S. companies have announced layoffs affecting more than 22,000 workers. Carvana's laid off 2,500. Coinbase 1100, Netflix 470, Robinhood 340, Stitch Fix 330, Vrome 270, Canoe 58. But some firms, including those listed, that we can talk about on a regular basis, like you know Apple and Amazon and Google, Facebook, they're opting opting more so for slowdowns instead of layoffs. They're trying to avoid being caught short-staffed like they were after big job cuts in 2020. 
only did I see the whole pandemic change the rules on resignations, the great resignation. So the headcounts at Google, 163,000, at Amazon, 1.6 million people, at Apple, 154,000, at Facebook, 77,000. A lot of those people live in my neighborhoods and help keep real estate home prices high because they want to live close to where they work. So when those layoffs come, it could affect my housing price as will there be a similar job available for me at Google as there was at Apple is the idea. Tech stocks have slumped this year. So one of the things that drives CEOs to fire people or not to hire as many people, again, Mark Andreessen's premise of this, this segment, and this is why I'm telling you it's a work in progress segment, is some companies have two times as many employees as they need because of the pandemic. Some companies have four times as many as they need. Now, the CEO of Apple or Google or Amazon or Meta, they have to sit there and justify to their shareholders, why is my stock down 45% in in Facebook's example, or Apple down 13.6%. So as the middle part of 22 played out, We're looking for job cuts, but with some companies, you're just looking for job freezes. They're very, very similar. And I don't think I have this analogy worked out in my head, right? But if we stopped immigration in the United States and just went sideways, you'd see a lot of jobs filled. And it it would change the dynamics just by not bringing in immigration into the country. Hiring slowdowns can affect even more people than actual layoffs. Apple, for example, added more than 24,000 new employees in 2021. So percent change in job posting since February 2020, it's looking like 60% from 30%. Number of jobs created in June beat expectations that remain well below 2021 levels, though. So we were creating a lot of jobs last year. This year, we're kind of pausing job creation. It's not a layoff. It's not someone's fired. But it's in the same tone. That's what I'm watching. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. The Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more about EP's unique approach to managing wealth at robblackshow.com. It's been an interesting few years, has it not? 2019 was pretty normal. And then COVID hit 2020. COVID shut us down. COVID led us to talk about, oh, There'll be a 2021 recovery year, 2020 shutdown year, 2019 normal. So those are going to be our three scenarios that we compare to for the next few years. Didn't play out like that. 2020 was shut down. 2021 was shut down somewhat kind of bumpy, but not recovery. 22 was the first year where we started saying, okay, we're putting some of this behind us. Economically speaking, politically, we'll never be the same. But in the last couple of years, you've learned about supply chain. You've learned about um, shutdowns in China and how China manufactures everything for the world. You've learned how important uh, food coming out of Europe is to the whole world. Energy, gas coming from Russia is important to Germany. And natural gas isn't all that in a bucket of chicken. Is it better than oil as far as pollution goes? Probably. But it's not natural. It's not natural clean gas. So it's a dirty fuel 
and it has problems. Like we're learning things, I hope, right? Uh, that's the goal of this segment. I want you to talk to your kids about movie theaters because it's something you could teach your kid a business lesson on. And, you know, one of the things I was sketching out for my children recently was a conversation when we're talking about movies and like, what movies did you like this summer? What movies would you like to see on the big screen? What movies are coming out that you're excited by? Things along those lines. And movie studios are optimistic. Top Gun was a huge movie for young people. No, Top Gun was a huge movie for people who don't go to movies anymore. We know people under 25 are going to go to movies for the next 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40 years. It's a way, a parent's way of getting the kids out. It's a way of the parents, uh, kids being social, of finding love and friendship with their buddies at the movies. I saw so many movies during my teenage years and my first couple years in twenties, right? Saw anything. Ruthless people. Like that's not a movie that would be made today, but man, it was funny. Saw, you know, way too many Jim Carrey films that probably haven't aged well. So movie theaters are really optimistic because they got us back with Top Gun. They got us back with Spider-Man. They've had some really big hits this summer. And they got the older people back and they got the younger people back. Younger people, like I said, under 25, will go see horror movies. And horror movies are the best investment ever for a studio because you pay young people who are attractive, who don't have a career in acting, and you pay them basically minimum wage of movies. You pay a lot to a special effects person so they get in 3D or you can open someone's stomach on, on the movie screen. Like Horror films are what they are. They're low-budget uh, formulas to get teenagers to come and get scared and have a good teenage time. So movie theaters got us all back, right? There's a lot of optimism. The problem is, a lot like with the rest of our economy, there's a supply chain issue. So I was showing my kids, like, do you remember a couple of years ago, like every weekend there was a big movie coming out? And, you know, yeah, of course, they're all dominated by the same people like Disney and Pixar and Marvel and... Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, like there was, there's a formula there for sure, franchises. But the supply chain on cars is problematic in the United States. The supply chain on semiconductors is, prob is problematic around the world right now. We learned that during the pandemic times. We learned that if you have people who have COVID, who their job is to cut off the head of a cow, bleed it out, and turn it into fillets, well, if the factory all had COVID, they weren't cutting off the heads of cows. So our filet prices went up. We couldn't get them in time. That's the idea, right? We learned that if we wanted apple bones, those factories needed to stay open. And we're learning like Apple was better than other companies at securing parts. So supply chain is pretty important. But even in movie theaters, it's important. So right now, there's not enough movies. The share of movies released on more than 2,000 screens is down more than 30% from 2019. So we're not back up to the same level that we were. There's no movie coming out over the next two plus months. It's tracking to debut north of 40 million. They got nothing left till Christmas time. Whereas in this three-month period, or I guess you would say two-month period is what I'm tracking right now, is that back in 2019, we had a Lion King, we had Fast and Furious, we had big movies. The next big movie, we got to see a little bit at Comic-Con. 
um, this past week where I know you're saying Comic-Con is your resource for information. It kind of is. They laid out the whole Marvel universe for the next two, three years and all the movies that are coming out and how it ties together. And it's a thing. My producer recently said, watching Marvel movies is like doing homework because if you miss one or two, you kind of miss the big picture plot line. I'm like, yep, that sucks to be me because I'm not going to see all the movies. It's just not my thing. But this week I got to watch it, Dwayne, the Dwayne Johnson. He's starring in Black Adam. There's a seventh Mission Impossible movie coming out. There's going to be a new Transformers film. But again, the supply chain got bumpy during COVID of making movies. And maybe that's why Maverick did so well. Because we had nothing else to see and we wanted to see anything. So the visual effects have been a, a process. I saw the Duffer Brothers from Netflix and Stranger Things talk about how, you know, there would have been two or three more episodes in season four if it wasn't for the pandemic and the cost of paying for healthcare expenses and paying for everyone to be safe. They just basically ran out of money. So they did a shortened season of seven episodes versus maybe 10. Don't quote me on that. It could have been nine instead of seven, but I think it was seven instead of nine. Anyhow, the pandemic hangover effect is hitting the movie industry as well. And you can teach this to your kids on supply chain. Um, same thing with the music industry. Everyone got disrupted and we all like, did you see that Bruce Springsteen, that Ticketmaster's got this variable ticket pricing and he's announced a couple dates and people freaked out because everyone wants to see the concert. What do I do? The baby boomers. I hate you, baby boomers. Like, do you really have to see him for the 93rd time? Yes. I've seen Bruce Springsteen 92 times. And the first time I saw him was a dollar. But now Bruce Springsteen to see him because of variable ticket pricing and because of demand and because there was such a period of time where we weren't seeing concerts, those tickets are going for $5,000. Wow. The most I've ever paid for a concert ticket was 600 And I felt weird about that. But I had great seats. But that was weird. And again, it's tied towards supply chain. If you want to see live music in a live venue... So does everyone else. So we're seeing the movie industry doesn't have enough supply. We're seeing uh, the music industry say, oh, you want Bruce? We'll, we'll roll Bruce out. Oh, we got the Eagles too. And like, that's I'm doing an age demographic thing there. I have to decide which one do I want to see because I can't see them both at 6,000 bucks. Uh, I have limits. So movie theater is not really. Movie theater is 10 bucks. Like, it's not that bad for that bit of entertainment that you're getting. Speaking of which, my kids wanted to see the Stranger Things experience. You know, you've seen the ads for Stranger Things experience. That is our version. I'm not going to say the word rip off, but holy mackerel, $100 for an hour versus what were we just talking about? Movies, 10 bucks for three hours. What's your bang for your buck? $100 to see a baseball game where you're seeing incredibly talented players. Uh, $100 for a football game where you're seeing incredibly skillful players. Football may be more expensive than that. But the Stranger Things experience, which is basically kind of an escape room without the escape room. It's just a kind of a walking thing where you go and 
they put on a little play, they put on a little performance. They do some of it in 3D and some of it's real. Some of it's it's well done. But a hundred dollars for one hour of entertainment, it brings up like again supply and demand. Now, unfortunately, I'm a parent, which means I'm gonna make some bad financial emotional decisions. My kids hit the pandemic at age eight, nine, and ten. And they come out of it at age 11 and 13. I feel like as a dad, did I, did, did they get enough of their childhood? Or should I make up for it and, and overcompensate and do the Stranger Things experience? So I did the Stranger Things experience. Do I regret it? It was expensive. Family of four, $600. And then you have to pay to park, which in that part of San Francisco, you should pay to park. Otherwise, you're going to come back with a broken window. So that's another $80 to pay to park. Or you can pay to park somewhere safer and cheaper than catch a Uber there. There's cheaper ways or there's more ways to be frugal, but content and movies and um, performances are all going to be expensive. And that's going to be the new norm for quite a while. One minute. In my opinion. Um, theaters are quick to blame streaming. Yeah, I get it. But right now, they just don't have enough supply. So Netflix is like, they're trying to focus their budget on more quality instead of quantity because people are starting to figure out they want quality. So they threw down $200 million on The Gray Man, a spy thriller starring Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans. It made less money than Pause of Fury, The Legend of Hank over the last week. But... With that being said, movie movie theater or not, Top Gun pulled in the biggest chunk of money and revenue this summer. Um, of all the dollars spent in theaters, it pulled in about 14%. That should be spread out a little bit thinner. Now, again, we're going to get a couple of new Avatar films down the road. But movies are supply chain driven too. And we don't have enough supply right now. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Find us at robblackshow.com. Robblackshow.com. So I just did a long segment on the supply chain of movies, and we're about 30% fewer releases than we were in 2019. And now you're probably getting everyone in Hollywood scratching their head. How can we get the releases? How can we get more out? We need more, more, more. And there'll probably be some studio heads who greenlight some projects that should never have been greenlit. Same thing happens with airlines. I think the point of this segment is it's more of an art than a science. Whether it be the movie industry, whether it be cars, phones, you have to look at everything as product. Even demand. Airlines were too ambitious chasing the travel rebound. Now they're scaling back. Flight disruptions are compared with 2019 before COVID hamstrung travel. Delta, United, American, all poster profit thanks to strong travel demand and high fares. When I talk about the airfares or air carriers, the three big ones, Delta, United, American, um, they, they make up the volume of the flights. So that's why I talk about them. I'm really not a big fan of Delta, United, or American. They just don't fall into my where I go category until I have to go. And I typically don't have to go anywhere Delta, United, or American are going. But like United Airlines right now is saying that they're trying to restore 89% of 2019 capacity. Um, 
last quarter, they were like, oh, we're going to try to restore about 90%. So they're scaling back. And that may not sound like a lot, but it adds up. We keep an eye on this kind of stuff because, again, it's a reminder that it's it's an art. It's not a science. And they kind of got greedy. And now they're scaling back. A little bit better time to fly this fall than this summer because of that. One last thing that I want to talk about this segment is your 401k. Every now and then I get notifications from Fidelity or Vanguard, Schwab, wherever my 401k is being housed, that I just got a dividend or I just got a tax document. You probably get the same kind of emails, right? One thing that we don't do a lot of with our 401ks now that everything is so electronic is we don't tend to click on the emails versus if we have an app, we'll check our 401k, but we're not doing the click throughs. So some people look at their 401ks and go, wow, I really haven't done as well as I thought I did. I want you to open your paperwork. I don't want you to be afraid of opening your paperwork during a bear market. Now, keep in mind, I've had a, a window at my home where I put mail and brokerage statements in the last 20 years have basically all gone online. And like I said, way easily, I just don't click on emails. If I have a statement in front of me, I'll, I'll eyeball it. If I have an app in my hand, I'll, I'll open it. But the click through is just ain't my thing for some reason. Very important that you look. Um, one of the biggest mistakes I have ever done in my life was while I was building my business, we switched a 401k provider and my paperwork didn't auto roll over. I filled it out. It didn't go through. So I lost about a year and a half of contributions to my 401k. That was 15, 20 years ago. And everything that I put in would have doubled or, or tripled by now. And it was me not it wasn't me being lazy because I was managing hundreds of millions of dollars. No, no, I, I should say probably about a hundred million. <laughs> I correct that. So it's not to exaggerate. And um, so I didn't do the click through. Right. And I didn't realize I was making a mistake. Um, I've got a, a radio and television is, is kind of a young person's industry on the starter jobs. And one of the things I try to do anytime we have a new producer in television or radio, I'm like, make sure you do the 401k. And when it comes time for them to leave the market or to retire and go to a different industry, I'm like, make sure you take that 401k with you. Don't just leave it. You got to love it. You got to give it a little spit shine on occasion. When you're in your 20s and you're putting money in your 401k, it's probably a lot less than in your 30s. But it's also worth keeping an eyeball on it. You know, another account that I, that I had, it was more nostalgic than anything else. My father was in the military, so we were part of the military credit union. So I got an account at USAA and I got an account at Pentagon Federal Credit Union. Now the credit union, my parents put in maybe $100 when I was born 50 years ago. And... I never used the credit account. I never used the union. I never set up a job with them. I never deposited money into it. 50 years later, that $100 with the interest in the bank 
is worth all of like $137. It's not much. It's better than nothing. But I ignored it and I didn't really want to use it because when I was young, I, I didn't have money to send to the bank. I didn't have money to put to set up a checking account or a savings account. I didn't have that kind of dough. But my parents were kind enough. And then as I got older, I'm like, well, it's a it's a bank account that's been on my account now for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. So it, it has some value. Not really. It's a, The longevity of the account being open is great, but the amount of money in it's nothing. Now, on the other hand, my parents sent me off with the USAA. My dad was in the military, and that's one of the greatest things he's ever done because the car insurance, I think, is some of the best on the planet. And I get to pass it on to my children and sell them, you know, your grandfather, you never met him, but this is a gift of love. It's, a, it's an incredible company to work with. And at age 18, I was, I was opening mutual funds and I was, I was funding accounts. So my advice to you is take a look at your accounts, maybe close the ones that don't make sense that are just nostalgic. I have one, Pentagon Federal. It still ain't worth much. I still have it because it's nostalgic. I guess it reminds me of my dad. That's not doing me any good. But also kind of love the accounts that do you well. And it, whether it be a 401k at your first job, that's a little garden. Go do a little gardening in it. Pull the weeds. Maybe you have a, uh, some bond funds and you're like, I should never have got bond funds. I'm way too young. Put it into an S&P 500 account and give it a couple more years of that water and that love. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black.